Hello, and welcome to the Mobile User Acquisition Show, a podcast to help you unlock tremendous growth for your app. My name is Shamant Rao. I'm the CEO of the boutique growth marketing firm, Rocketship HQ, and host of the podcast, Mobile User Acquisition Show. In each episode, we feature experts in the field of mobile growth and discuss strategies, tips, and pointers from the leading edge of mobile growth marketing. By the end of each episode, you will have gained actionable and tactical insights that will help you make more informed decisions in your own work around growth. The Mobile User Acquisition Show is produced by Meryl Vincent, Content Marketing Manager at Rocketship HQ. Our guest today is Ekaterina Gramsriegler, Head of Growth and Marketing at Mimo, an app that helps people learn coding. In today's episode, we dive into retention triggers, managing seasonality and usage spikes while planning retention campaigns, when and how to use paid retargeting, understanding retention by channel in a post-privacy world, and much, much more. This episode is a part of the Retention Club, a series of episodes that we are co-producing along with our friends at the team. Check this out. I'm excited to welcome and welcome back Ekaterina Gamsriegler to the Mobile UA show, also to this retention club segment around retention and re-engagement this week. Ekaterina, welcome to the show. Hi, Shimon. Very happy to be here again. To get started, in our first briefing call, you talked about how important it is to align internal and external triggers for improving retention. Can you give examples of how apps have successfully implemented using internal and external triggers, and perhaps also a situation where things didn't go as planned, but was still valuable in offering lessons? Yeah, of course, I'll start with uh, maybe an overview of how I approach it and then share some examples as well. The concept of internal, external triggers is not so new. <laughs> it's fairly old, and I believe everybody knows it by now. Basically, external triggers is everything that happens outside of us, like externally and motivates us to get back to using the product. Internal triggers would be our emotions, feelings, fears, and other maybe drivers that happen internally. So typically the way it works is that you double down on external triggers till the users have this internal motivation to start coming back to your product until they build a habit. And in my experience, what works uh, particularly well is to not necessarily wait until um, this moment, but to look into the product usage, to check what are the typical patterns, what is the average frequency, and when are the spikes and the low points in usage. This kind of spikes would be the moments when it might make sense to double down on external triggers as well, which can be emails, push notifications, retargeting ads, for example. Let's say if we're talking about an educational app uh, like Mimo, uh, then we can see that there is a clear pattern in users mostly using the product during the weekdays and having a slightly uh, slight drop over the weekend. And at the same time, we might have a closet organizer app and you know that users are most likely to have the time to uh, work on it during the weekend. And this would be the timings when it makes sense to additionally encourage the product usage so this would be roughly the idea of how one can approach it, like to look at the, to map 
um, the trends in and patterns and using the app with the communication. And for some examples, when it didn't work out for me, I have a couple. One of them was when a couple of years ago, in addition to sending daily reminders, because this is the app usage pattern that we see, we also wanted to see if sending weekly educational tips about programming languages and practices will help us improve retention. And it really did not. <laughs> However, it was still a win for us because we did not invest more resources into coming up with the whole setup with the content, which would have to differ week over week. So this is how we figured that we should rather double down on the daily reminders. And with this, I have another story. We mm -hmm. tested at some point uh, whether personalizing the uh, push daily push notifications uh, helps us improve uh, the engagement rates uh, with the pushes. And we had the control group and the test group. The test group would receive notifications, which would include the username, the user's name, the programming language they're learning, their current trick, and the name of the list. And we basically saw that they didn't perform any better and sometimes even worse than the original messages. But later on, we also realized that once we added all of these variables to the messages, they got much longer. So it was probably not that much about the personalization, but it was about the length of the message. So we right. got back to it and tested messages of formula of similar lengths. And this is when we saw a slight improvement in engagement. So here, maybe my learning was that sometimes if you have the resources, the curiosity and the time, it might make sense to iterate on the losing variant, not only on the winning ones, uh, to see what was exactly the reason behind it not working out. Sometimes a variable that led to it losing might be something you haven't expected. Yeah. Right? And that can certainly be the case. We were talking about some of the recent changes to email and spam policies. How do you see these changes impacting the broader CRM and retention space? To be honest, quite significantly. <laughs> Not uh, a typical predict <laughs> prediction person, but I'm really curious if this um, in any way come true. What I already mm -hmm. see happening and what I think might be happening in the short term is, of course, first of all, us redesigning the marketing-led um, retention strategies and mostly the email flows to only keep the emails that are actually relevant and valuable for the audience. And with this, I also already see more and more products implementing the little uh, set of links in the footer, which are asking whether the email was helpful, not so helpful, etc. So I think this is already one of the filters that can help you remove the emails in the journey, which might have high spam rates. Another um, change I would expect to happen is that instead of just focusing on the email um, as a channel, we will build much more elaborate multi-channel retention strategies, which will also, of course, include push notifications in the messages for some apps. Mess might be relevant as a channel, for example, FinTech, apps use it quite extensively. Everybody started recently also implementing the double opt-in policy. And maybe my biggest fear is that there will be some kind of a domino effect when, let's yeah. say, everybody starts doubling on push notifications now and an average user already receives 50 a day. This part of the experience even more cluttered and harder to stand out. 
the personalization relevancy and more advanced segmentation will be taking place. And now as we have machine learning and AI tools, this should be getting implemented thoroughly. So honestly, I believe on the one hand, our job will become harder because uh, it will be really hard to stay below the spam thresholds um, and to make sure that your content is even more relevant, personalized, and valuable. On the other hand, if a lot of the sand players uh, will end up in the spam, spam folder because they were maybe through the emails and all the mass discount sale campaigns artificially trying to boost the demand and stay top of mind, this might make it a little bit easier for other players to finally make sure that the emails get attention in the inbox because a bunch of others yeah. will end up in spam. And it's hard to see how this could eventually play out, but you're right. This could potentially level the playing field, and but certainly it could just definitely be disruptive in ways we haven't completely envisioned. It definitely makes sense. Can you talk about how usage spikes to tailor any CRM communications around them? So for instance, there could be weekends or specific days of the week or even times of the year. How do you think about having re-engagement efforts be tailored to usage spikes or lulls? My go-to framework for this one, because I do have a lot of frameworks for a lot of things, would be the behavioral model. It has like three elements in it. It's about the motivation, the prompt, and the ability. So the first element here is to make sure that the communication aligns with the user's motivations, whether internal ones or external ones. And the second element is the ability. So the communication should be timely. It should arrive um, at a good uh, moment for the user when the user is also in the right context to receive this communication and to be pulled back um, into the product. So my go-to and best practices and the learnings uh, that I have so far. First, it's it's really good to enable a user to pick up uh, the reminder time. Like for example, for us, again, we aim at building a habit, which means we aim at using the product daily. In this case, this this means like sending daily emails or push notifications, but we, we send push notifications only. So it's a good practice to enable a user to pick the time when it's best for them to get reminded about the lessons. If you cannot enable users to do that, then also a good rule of thumb is to send the reminders 24 hours after the engaged session, like some kind of meaningful activity in the app on the previous day. Also, of course, personalizing these messages with very clear and short call to action. Again, as we have tested it extensively, I can say that in our case, short and clear messages work best. So for example, instead of saying, give yourself a boost, it works much better when you say, start your free trial, you're eligible for a free trial or things like this, right? right? And another thing to increase the ability part of this equation is to also set the messages in the user's time zones so that it's not middle of the night and the users can actually act on it. Maybe a good example here would be trading apps, as I used to work for one for several years. This for me was the case when communication was 100% aligned with the user's motivations, because as one of the use cases, you could 
allow a user to set the reminders during volatile times, the price for the product that they're trading either right. changes by a certain extent, either increases or decreases. This is very clearly aligned with monitoring gains and losses, which means these are the types of notifications which are extremely useful for the user. And this is where the engagement rates are typically the highest. Uh, this hugely depends on the nature of the app, of course, but they think this yeah. motivation alignment was the strongest and this, this was the best use case for relevant communication yeah. I think I've ever seen. And it also allows the user to customize and pick what kind and type of notification might make sense for them, which makes a lot of sense. We're talking about using push and email and uh, organic ways of uh, doing retargeting. Uh, but you also worked with paid retargeting and uh, you talked about a former company that you worked at, which had a fairly interesting approach to paid retargeting campaigns, specifically to ensure that these were actually incremental, that they were actually ROAS positive. Can you describe this approach? This was um, several years ago. So now with the privacy, et cetera, changes, this is much more tricky to execute something so elaborate. But what we were doing uh, was um, to first, of course, have multiple segments for targeting. We would have a segment of users who signed up but did not start the trial, then started the trial, did not make a purchase, et cetera, et cetera. And for each of the segments, it would be a separate campaign with a separate set of creatives, incentives, discounts. So depending on the drop-off stage in the user journey, we would uh, like tailor everything to that. But maybe right. the most interesting element here was that we would not run this retargeting campaigns right away. We would look at when the, uh, like for every cohort, when was the natural drop in conversion events. So for example, if uh, we see that 90% of users um, purchased within the first 14 days um, of um, after installing the app, then starting day 15, we can launch retargeting campaigns. This was to, like you mentioned, to avoid cannibalization, to have some proper incrementality there, and to also just use other methods like CRM and communication to convert the users within this time frame. And if, if all fails, then we would try with external triggers like retargeting ads. Got it. And I would say you're right that the privacy changes have complicated this approach a lot more. But I would say a lot of folks I know are using a very similar approach just with opted-in users in being able to retarget them. And what I also find interesting is that the approach you described seems like a fairly close mirror image of how an effective organic CRM campaign would be set up mm -hmm. because you would set up uh, emails, push notifications to go out by user segment, have customized incentives for each of them, so this definitely makes sense in terms of mirroring how an organic setup would be. When you're understanding retention and re-engagement, I would imagine it's the retention of a user is a very significant function of the channel that they install the app from. So I would imagine understanding retention by channel becomes critical. Again, post-privacy changes, it's no longer as clear-cut or easy to understand that. How do you think about understanding retention by channel and what, if any, might be insights that you may have gotten by trying to understand retention by channel. My approach, I would be really curious to also know what uh, the, the audience um, is using and how they're approaching this, but 
Uh, you're completely right. The buckets of muted users, the buckets of users called no user consent are growing for us. And of course, like th this is a big percentage of the audience. So what has become my go-to practice is to not necessarily focus on the absolute numbers, on the amounts of users, but rather on the trends. So once you have the picture of what's happening with, with the product acquisition-wise, if there were any featureings, if you launched new channels or maybe scaled down some high quality channel. So basically you're aware of the changes that are happening when it comes to the quantity and quality of the users. And if there is like no significant change, then I think it's fair to rely on the trends to just look at how the retention rates uh, for the channels you have the attribution data for keeps developing. Um, so basically for me, looking at day one, day three, day seven retention and at the percentage of activated users per channel still makes sense in this regard. And for example, this still makes it possible to gather insights like, for example, the search channels like Apple search ads, search ads or Google organic search have the best retention rates. I guess nothing surprising here. For me, what's often surprising is that influencer partnerships perform quite good also retention-wise. Like the retention rates are very similar to search channels perform. Then also we have TikTok, which um, is also surprisingly good. Um, and maybe not so positive one is the traffic from the referral programs. Like this is where I tend to see maybe 30, 40% lower retention rates compared to the users who come organically or like via paid acquisition. So this is still possible. You're not probably going to get super granular insights per cohort, but you can get a good idea of the trends and also see whether changes in your acquisition mix make a difference. You're right that it's never a precise measurement, but it is possible to get a fairly good read of how each channel's retention is and how it's impacting longer-term engagement of a user, longer-term LTVs of a user. It definitely makes sense. Sometimes you can just see you turn on a channel the overall retention is not great and yeah. you know that is the cause of it. Sometimes it's less clear, but there's ways to tease that out to understand what if anything is happening with your numbers, right? Katya, I think this has been very insightful, especially since you are looking at all parts of your growth stack, acquisition, retention, monetization. And I think it's very interesting to understand and see how you're looking at some aspects of retention. This is perhaps a good place for us to wrap up. But uh, before we do that, can you tell folks how they can find out more about you, you and everything you do? Yeah, I'm um, trying to be more active on LinkedIn. So I think this is the, the best uh, place to go to and follow me for different marketing and growth-related tactics yeah. and insights. So yeah, I'm most active there. Excellent. So we will link to that in the show notes. And you also teach a course occasionally on maven.com. And I think folks who are on our newsletter, like we'll probably link to that when you launch next. But this is perhaps a good place for us to wrap up. Thank you so much for being on the show. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Thank you for listening to the Mobile User Acquisition Show. If any of this was helpful or instructive, I would love for you to leave us a review or rating on iTunes. Stitcher, Overcast, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast fix. This podcast takes a ton of time, effort, and love to produce, and I deeply value every review 
every piece of feedback that you share. 